Hello, and welcome to episode 16 of the Haiku Chronicle podcast. I'm Patricia, your host, and I'm documenting my haiku learning journey, and hope what I'm learning will be useful in helping you to improve your haiku writing too. You'll find all the links to the reading I've done in the show notes on the Poetry P website. This week, I'm happy to welcome Eva Drobner as our guest writer, our first guest from Slovakia, and I'll tell you a little bit more about her a little later in the podcast. Last week, you'll remember that I was intrigued by the One Image Haiku. I was reading Marlene Mountain's essay on One Image Haiku, and it got me thinking. Because what I've been reading so far recommended two images, the phrase and the fragment. How could One Image Haiku really be haiku, I thought. She quotes Alan Watts' definition of a good haiku, which is, a pebble thrown into the pool of the listener's mind, evoking associations out of the richness of his own memory. And if you take this definition, then you can accept the idea of a one-image haiku. Or at least I can. Marlene subdivides the one-image haiku into a haiku which has two components and a pure one-image haiku which doesn't have those two components. Let me share with you a couple of examples she gave. For the two-component Western one-image haiku, she offers Virginia Brady Young's A Hippo Shedding the River. Here, you can clearly see the two components, the hippo and the river, and the relationship between the two. She gives many examples of a pure one-image haiku. For example, Elizabeth Lamb's Spotting an antelope, that long moment before he jumps. And inevitably, Cor van den Heuvel's haiku, Tundra, which is also quoted as an example of the pure one-image haiku. To explain the rationale behind her belief that this is a pure one-image haiku, Mountain, quoting Watts again, suggests that Tundra has achieved a silence of the mind in which one does not think about the poem, but actually feels the sensation which it evokes, all the more strongly for having said so little. Kaur himself suggested how one should interpret Tundra in an interview with Carmen Sturber in Troutswell, in which he says, It is what it is a level or undulating plain characteristic of Arctic or subarctic regions. The important things are to see it alone in the mind or in the middle of an otherwise blank page and to colour it with a season, preferably spring, when it's blowing forever with grasses, flowers, birds, with their nests and eggs, and insects, or in the winter when it's covered with endless drifted snow, to see the vastness of it spreading out from the word across the page and across the world, and to hear the sound of it, the word. To my mind, this offers two interpretations. The first supports Marlene Mountain, as when you see it alone in the mind, you can feel the sensation it evokes. In this interpretation, it's a pure one-image haiku. In the second interpretation, where you see it in the middle of an otherwise blank page, it's still a one-image haiku, but it has two components, the word and the paper. Perhaps what is more interesting, though, to those of us who are learning the art of haiku, is the reason why he wrote one-image haiku. In an article for the Haiku Foundation, My Haiku Path, he writes that he tried to find another element to resonate with, the shadow in the folded napkin, but finally decided, with the encouragement of Anita Virgil, that the image could stand alone. It didn't need anything else, he writes. I began to think of one image and one line haiku as part of my approach to haiku. There is almost always something else in the experience of the reader that will resonate, if only subconsciously, 
with a single image, if that image is striking and evocative enough. One may think of it as an invisible metaphor. Recently I was asked if I knew why he removed his one-word haiku from the third edition of the Haiku Anthology, and I found the answer in an interview he did with Jim Ketchian in the Haiku Foundation's Juxta. Jim asked him directly why it was removed, and he answered, I felt it was becoming too much the poem that defined me, to the neglect of my other work, so I didn't think it needed to be included again. There is something a little greedy of a poet who takes a single word from the language and sort of puts his or her brand on it. An interesting phenomenon once, I'm not sure if I were to try another one-worder, it would not seem unseemly. I think someone has already published a shorter word as haiku. The word shark on white space is only one syllable, whereas tundra has two. I'm not sure, but I think it was written and published by Alexis Rotella. Of course, many of us can think of single words that might work, and it's largely by chance who gets to publish it first. And actually it was published by Alexis Rotella, and you can read about it on the Living Anthology webpage. It is apparently the second most famous one-word haiku. And I say this tongue-in-cheek, I promise you, but maybe my one-word haiku, grey, could become the third. Last week I promised an explanation of the thought process behind this haiku. You can make up your mind whether it works or not, but I'd be really interested to hear your thoughts. I didn't want to write this as a two-component one-image haiku, i.e. the word grey on a grey page. I felt this would actually detract from the word and not allow people the space to imagine what the haiku was about. If you were listening last week, you'll know the story behind it. If not, this is what I was thinking. I spent a lot of time in the city, and one day I was walking along the cobbled streets of the old town, which I normally love, but it was so cold... The sky was grey, the cobbles were grey, and most of the houses had taken on a grey colour in the shade, and the word grey came to me. Grey because of the colours, naturally, but also the mood, the sadness that it evoked. And the word itself, which I find quintessentially miserable. Seasonally, I see it as a winter haiku, because of the snow and the leaden skies that go with it. But it could also be an early spring-late autumn haiku, when the mist of the lake can envelop you in a bubble of grey. Let me know if it works for you. Next, a quick reminder of submissions you could be making this month. You'll find more info on the Poetry P website, but don't forget that submissions to Frogpond are open until the end of March. If you click on the submissions menu on the website, you'll find the link. So, now I'd like to introduce Ava Drobner from Slovakia as our guest this week. She's an active pensioner, teacher of the Slovak language, and proofreader of Slovak works. I asked her why her English was so good, and she replied that her teacher was very good, as was her translator. She writes poetry as a hobby. She's intrigued by haiku in particular because of its simplicity and purity of speech. And she's written some books, and I've put those details on the show notes. Like many of our other guests, she recommends reading haiku to improve your knowledge and style. She herself has read translations of the great Japanese poets, like Bashu, Aisa, etc. And in addition to that, she recommends the British Haiku Society as a really good source of learning. So let's hear her haiku. Rainless day, I lean into rays of sun. 
As I read this haiku, I can feel the sun on my face. And I don't know about you, but that's one of the things that makes me feel very, very happy. Thanks for your great haiku, Ava. I look forward to hearing you again. So that's it for this week. Could I ask you a favour? If you're on Facebook, could you please go to our page, The Haiku Chronicle, and give us a like? It would be much appreciated. Keep writing, and remember, we'd love to have submissions from you for the podcast and the website. See you next week.